0: What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible?
1: The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening.
0: The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives
1: better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom
2: they don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working.
0: To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child, we really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here.
2: I'm Jen Maestas and you're listening to Miss Education. Today, I am sitting down with two teachers that I met actually over the summer this past summer through some work we were doing with the school leaders who are in an incubation year, which is a design year. They've taken some time away from the campuses where they typically lead and are thinking through reinventing or reimagining a school model to potentially launch a new school model in the fall. And part of the work that we did with those three leaders was look for places where this has happened before, and we came across an organization called Teach Plus, Plus. and the two people that are sitting down with me today, Megan and Austin, are both fellows with the Teach Plus organization. And so I'm going to let them each introduce themselves to you, and then we can talk about exactly what Teach Plus is.
1: Hi, my name uh, is Megan Whalen. I'm a senior fellow with Teach Plus, and um, I'm also a Spanish and French teacher. Cool.
0: Uh, My name is Austin Hawk, and I'm a Teach Plus fellow alum. So I participated in the fellowship last year, and uh, I teach at Steele Montessori Academy for second and third grade.
2: Sweet. So we got high school and second and third grade. Which is always fun, right? The both ends of the spectrum. I think it's always interesting um, to sit down with somebody that's really, that's kind of vertical like that because your perspectives are really different when you're talking about, you know, six and seven year olds versus 17 and 18 year olds. It's really kind of interesting. Tell the story about how you became a teacher to begin with.
0: I became a teacher um, inspired by my parents. My parents were educators at the college level. And I was always really inspired growing up by the way their students interacted with them and the dedication and the high expectations they held for them. And so being around that a lot inspired me to study elementary education in college. And in college, when I was doing my student teaching or my internship year, I really fell in love with the students I was working with at a first grade classroom in at Muster Elementary. Um, I'm from Pennsylvania originally, so that's um, pretty far away from Texas. But <laughs>
2: yeah, that's pretty far away.
0: I really enjoyed that experience. And then the work I did there brought me down to Texas through Teach for America San Antonio. Um, I came down in 2013, just kind of fell in love with the work down here and really was interested in not only staying within the district, but, you know, finding an alternative school model at another kind of a school that was redesigned to, mm-hmm. you know, help support students a little bit better. So that's what brought me to Steele.
2: Cool. And tell us a little bit about what Steel. Why is Steel a different model?
0: So Steele is the first public Montessori school in the county. You know, when I always do my little elevator pitch to people and say, like, why Steele? What do I like about it? It, As a teacher, it's a curriculum and a program that takes this, like, idea of differentiation, which can be, like, abstract and, like, Mm -hmm. challenging, and there's systems for it. And you have a classroom with materials at all three grade levels and even beyond. And so when you have kids that are all over the place academically, social, emotionally, they're all able to do things that they're ready for and to be supported for. And you don't have to just like make up all kinds of different things beyond the curriculum you're given.
2: So you really and you are really facilitating a grade band versus like every student that's six years old is in first grade.
0: Right. So first grader could be doing third grade work and no one can tell the difference. And a third grader can be doing first grade work. That's what they're academically ready for to do Mm -hmm. independently. And they don't notice. They'll still get lessons at the appropriate grade level for what they need. Right. But it's just really helpful to have kids be able to like be independent and feel successful and not feel like they're always behind or always bored and not having something to challenge them. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to Megan. I'm just going to pick on Austin just for a second. Cause I'm curious about this, the model. Um, so how many students are in your classroom?
0: This year I have 25 students.
2: And do you have help in your classroom or is it just you and the 25 students?
0: Yeah, I have um, each each lower elementary classroom does have an assistant, so an instructional assistant that will help and support. Um, a lot of that is to help this kid build independence because, mm-hmm. you know, the independence of an eight, nine year old is certainly a lot different than the independent of a six or seven year old. But um, there's about nine of each um, yeah. grade level in the room. And, you know, when the model is fully fleshed out, we'll have, you know, students that are Third graders will we have been in the classroom for two years and have worked with that same teacher for, for that long. Our oldest students right now are third graders, so the school yeah. model is still developing.
2: Yeah, that's that was actually going to be my next question is how long, if you have a first grader in your class right now, do they stay in your classroom through the time that they would be out of third grade? Yes. Yeah. So
0: I have a handful of students this year that this is our third year together. Mm -hmm. And so the journey is like pretty incredible because some of them start with you and they like can't read. They can't tie their shoes. They are like kind of all over the place. (laughs) And then by the time they're leaving you, like they're 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 reading chapter books. They're able to like maintain their own like social, emotional wellness. They're able to do these like intense, long division problems. Like they've just Mm -hmm. they've come such a long way, which when you teach a traditional elementary school experience, sometimes you lose that you get them sure, for a short you see time them for 10 months and yeah. then
2: then they're not yours anymore right. right and and so but your third graders the nine third graders that they're still taking the star assessment at the end of the school year so you're still doing some sort of yes star preparation for that what does that look mm-hmm. like
0: yes we're, we're deep in that work right now yeah. so finding ways to kind of help the students understand what the star is prepare them for it um give the like a translation between the Montessori language and the the star language or the traditional curriculum language, while also like not letting the students feel the stress or the pressure. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of a part of their day. It's something that they have to do independently. It's something that we do in small groups. Um, but the curriculum is not star preparation. The curriculum is not reading passages and doing practice problems. It's um, just kind of bridging the gap for them.
2: So in my imagination, that means that you're actually investigating a lot all of the time about what the curriculum will look like. And you're not necessarily given a curriculum to implement. Like, here, Austin, do this.
0: We are all Montessori certified at the school. And so we are going through that process. And they do give us a curriculum. Montessori is very structured in certain areas, especially math. And so it's our job to kind of help adapt it or to use and rely on others who have done that work before or in other schools across the state because there are other public Montessori schools in the state of Texas and we try to find a way to to better support the kiddos and
2: cool So Megan, your story probably sounds really different. (laughs) So yeah, my story started with falling in
1: love with my content. So I started taking French when I was in seventh grade. And I just thought that languages were so amazing. And I was really good at it. And I thought it was super fun and exciting. And then uh, in ninth grade, my French teacher started to do an exchange with a French school in Normandy, France. And I wanted nothing more in life than to have a French girl come and stay with us. (laughs) Like nothing more in life. So I go home and I like begged my parents, which they were fine with it anyways. That's awesome. And so her name was Jennifer and she came and she stayed with us for three weeks. And then I went over to France and I stayed with her family for three weeks when I was a sophomore in high school. And then we got along so well that we continued the exchange. She spent a summer with me, I spent a summer with her. I just loved the language and the culture. And I- Did you
2: have any prior knowledge of French before seventh grade? No. Or you just stumbled upon like, I think I'll study French in seventh grade. Yeah, so you have to start taking
1: a language uh, in uh middle school. And I just realized that I loved it. And um, after learning French, I was like, I think I just like languages. And so I started taking I was in IB French mm-hmm. and I decided to also take Spanish one because I was like, if so many people speak Spanish. I need to learn Spanish, too. <laughs> so <laughs> here I am in high school. I'm a senior in a Spanish one class trying oh, to learn wow. Spanish while also taking <laughs> IB French because I just wanted to learn more languages. And so I went to college and I went in as a French major and I was kind of thinking, like, what do I want to do with this? Because I just I love this. I was like there's interpreters and translators yeah. and I've kind of dabbled in that and I uh-huh. kind of find it tedious and I was like you know what languages enriched my life so much I want to help languages enrich other people's lives so that's why I decided to become a teacher to spread nice. the enrichment of my love of languages and how you can connect with other people through through learning other languages because there's so many times when I'm able to speak to someone in Spanish and I get to learn more about their life because maybe mm-hmm. they don't speak English as well or they're not right. as comfortable in it so you get this little insight into people's lives and into different worlds and i just love that about languages so yeah i went to college and was like oh maybe i'll teach a couple spanish classes here or there but i really want to be a french teacher and um, I've ended up teaching more Spanish in San Antonio, <laughs> yeah. which is fine. I did a summer semester in Costa Rica, uh-huh. and the French government has schools all over the world. Yeah. And I had an internship at a bilingual French Spanish school. And my host mother had come to Costa Rica to work at the school, fell in love with the Costa Rican. And so at home, I spoke French and learned Spanish. And I spoke more Spanish as I learned it while I was there. Um, So I went to Yuck. Costa Rica and spoke a lot of French. Sweet. Uh, so it was perfect for me. I learned how to differentiate really well between the two languages and like respond to the one that I was spoken to instead of just trying to mix them all up in my head because I sounded like a two year old for a little while. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I throw in like it's not English and I just throw words out there yeah. and then they'd all just laugh at me. And eventually they were so proud of me by the end because I could really like differentiate. And I was like, yeah. all right, now I got all three languages separated. Um And so I taught... I'm from upstate New York. A couple of (laughs) Northeasterners in the room. Yeah. Uh, So I taught in upstate New York for a couple of years. And then for some personal reasons, I moved down to Texas. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I decided to uh, get a master's because in New York, you have to have your master's within first, within your first five years or really? you lose your job. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I didn't want to close that door. So I was like, I'll get my master's. It'll open up opportunities regardless.
2: Uh, so you have to have a master's degree in your first five years of teaching in a public school in New York City? Yes. New, York New York State. New York State? Yep. Wow. Yep. I did not know that. Yeah. So And if you don't pursue your master's degree and complete it in five years, then you're not a teacher. You're not invited back. Yes, that is true. interesting yeah yep it's
0: very it's different a, very different expectations very
2: different very exp- different
1: yeah so teachers know going in that you start your master's so some people wait to get their master mm-hmm. some, some people continue in their in their schooling get their master's and some people do it oh, while they're teaching right.
2: before they even start like they yeah. just go straight through
1: they go straight through mm-hmm. yeah and some people do it while they're teaching
2: I did not know that. Yeah. I feel kind of foolish. <laughs> I literally did not know that.
0: Where uh, where I grew up, the uh, the schools would pay for your for you to take master's degree courses because they were such smaller schools districts in smaller areas. There wasn't these like large education centers like Region sure. 20 that could provide all this professional development and so um, the school districts would pay for you to pursue your masters at a pretty slow rate, but they mm-hmm. would pay for your online courses or your night courses. And so, instead of getting your continuing professional education hours, you would be getting credits towards a master's that you might get in four, five, six, seven years. Um, which is another interesting way, I think, to acquire a masters when the district is kind of helping.
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, yeah, in New York, the districts are also supportive. Uh, you get more of a um, a pay increase as you're taking it course by course, and they'll help you with it. So.
2: That's really cool. Yeah. So you get to the classroom, both of you, and you're you're a new teacher. You you are here for the right reasons. You've been drawn to the profession. What's your biggest surprise? Like you walk in the door, you have your first classroom, your first group of students. Like what is the thing that you're like, okay, I did not expect that.
0: One thing that really jumped out at me – when I, when I did it, I did my internship year in student teaching and I planned some of the lessons for the day, but I didn't wasn't in charge of planning right. all the lessons. And then when I did Teach for America, we did Summer Institute and we would plan like one really great lesson for summer school mm-hmm. every day over the summer. Awesome. Got it. Ready to go. <laughs> and then...
2: You're all alone. Then you're
0: in the classroom all alone. <laughs> and in an elementary school setting that's self-contained, you might be teaching like 10 lessons a day.
2: Yeah. Eight. Easily.
0: Once you get your small groups in there, once you get your guided reading, once you get your math interventions, and then that's five days a week. And so you're getting like, what, like 30, 40? And
2: you wrote like a three page lesson plan for those lessons, those one independent lessons that you did <laughs> in student teaching or summer bridge, you know, yes. and you're like, wait, I have to do this again for eight different content areas in one day.
0: Right. So just like wrapping your head around the content and then like being able to give like high level instruction and then adapt it to the kids and your mind is just kind of like about to explode.
1: Yeah. It was also that I started out teaching and I had three preps. I started out with teaching Spanish one, two and three. So I had all three preps to start out with. And then for me teaching high school, it was also classroom management because when you start, you're like five years older than a high school senior, you know, (laughs) if that. (laughs) So I started teaching when I was 22 and I had some juniors and seniors in my classes that were 17, 18 18 years old. And so just figuring out how to be in charge of an 18 year old when you're 22 and how to, like run your classroom. That's crazy. Right? You know, it's it's figuring out how to manage that and how to manage those relationships when they look at you and they're like, "What? You're like two years older than me, yeah, right?" Especially crazy. when I look pretty young. Yes. So when you look even younger, <laughs> then just figuring out how to be in charge in in those situations. So learning classroom management was one of the biggest things for me.
0: Yeah, when their older siblings are older than you, you're in trouble. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for real, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That's crazy. And that's that's something I never experienced because I always did elementary school. So I was always the old person in the room, you know, like even when I was in my 20s, I'm talking to eight year olds, you know, it's a big difference. So how did you figure it out? Who did you go to? So
1: I got help from other teachers and then there was also like an instructional coach and she came by and she kind of helped me out and gave me some pointers too. And some of it, you just kind of figure out what works for you as a teacher because some Mm -hmm. of the older teachers were a lot more authoritarian and that's not my personality. That's not who I am. I'm more likely to find a way to like jokingly get you to do something and kind of manipulate you a little bit so that you don't even realize that you're following my directions.
2: I was just having a conversation (laughs) with somebody a, a couple of days ago about the word manipulation and how it's got such a negative connotation, but I feel like a lot of our day when you're working with, when you're trying to get someone to learn something that you know will be good for them, but that they kind of need to know that it'll be good for them themselves, that actually what you're doing is manipulating the environment and you're manipulating the the circumstances, right? So that they come to the conclusion you want them to come to, but you're not being overtly authoritative you're not saying do this because i said so uh has to come from something else or you're just going to get a bunch of rebels right yeah so i do think like you do become sort of a master manipulator when you're a teacher yeah um, but in the best kind of way not in a negative way Yeah. yeah a lot of it comes down to building relationships with them too. totally so
0: when i think of manipulation as you brought that up too it makes me think of like I just find ways all day long to make the kids think that they're like winning a hundred percent. That's I'm, what I'm saying. I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do. But like, you're thinking you're like, um, oh, I got this. I got I'm this. I'm pulling one over. <laughs> and it's like, no, we're just guiding you to something that like we really want you to do. We want you to get to, we want you to work on, but in their head, they're like, oh, okay, he, he or she would give me this freedom or this opportunity. And it's like, perfect. Yep. You got it.
2: Yep. It, exactly. How long were you teaching before you discovered or got involved with Teach Plus? And then what is Teach Plus? So this is
1: my 12th year teaching. uh, And I started in Teach Plus last year. And I'm a senior fellow this year. And I got an email about it and was like, this sounds really interesting. I always sort of knew at some point that I wanted to do more either in advocacy or professional development or something to support educators and support the profession. Mm -hmm. So when I heard about Teach Plus, I was like, oh, maybe Mm -hmm. this is my little advocacy opportunity. So I'll see what happens.
2: So what kind of things were were bubbling up for you that you thought like this needs an advocate? Like we need to be saying this and we need to be doing something about this.
1: So education in general and a big thing inequality in education and making sure that all students have equal opportunities be it through funding through teacher quality through all those different things and those are some of the big things that uh that teach plus pushes for
2: how i just want to pull on a little bit how is inequity showing up in school for you like what were you seeing that you were like that's that's not equitable
0: some of the things that I think of when it comes to inequity is just like opportunity, like what are th- what are schools and types of schools that are available to certain kids working at a Montessori school? Um, most Montessori schools are private. Most of it is a very expensive based. tuition based. Uh-huh. And so bringing a school like that to a public setting in the County, like I said, the first one is just bringing opportunity to kids that wouldn't have it. Yeah. Our, our campus is a 50, 50 campus as far as like economic diversity. And so kids that, are getting it now would just have not had the opportunity mm-hmm. and so providing just different different options is a big inequity one of the big inequities you'll hear too is like resources facilities and if you go school to school across the city you're gonna oh, see so you're gonna like, see wild things and I know you do a lot of tours and take people do. a lot of places but that's just kind of like surface layer stuff too you can get into like teacher sure. quality teacher mindset what are yeah. people thinking about what do people think about their kids what do the communities think about the schools and a lot of people are showing that what they think of the schools when they're finding other places to go, whether it's different charters, different choice schools and and traditional districts.
2: So how long were you teaching before you joined Teach Plus?
0: Uh, I taught for five years before I joined Teach Plus. So this is my seventh year of teaching right now. And one of the things I just really liked about Teach Plus is it just amplified our voices. We are people from all over the state teaching in rural settings and cities and mm-hmm. all over. And we all have experiences and things to share and things we want to speak on. And so there are issues that were coming up with the legislator and all Teach Plus just gave us a platform and gave us the skills and the tools mm-hmm. to go share our experiences, tell the stories of our students and use that to help shape policy. And with the last le- the last legislative session, you saw that.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting too, when you get in a room with educators who are in really different places like you mentioned urban and rural and i've just recently started working with some of our rural school districts around san antonio and the needs in the what's happening is is really different i mean you when you're talking about um earning certifications or earning dual credit or earning dual or being in dual enrollment. When you are where we are usually in San Antonio in the urban core, we're surrounded by universities. We're a college city. Um, and so finding a dual credit partner or finding somewhere to send students for dual enrollment is, is not that tricky because it's down the road. I mean, it's right around the corner. Um, but when you're in a rural Place. It is actually very challenging because the transportation cost for getting students to actually be on a campus is ho- really high. I mean, when you're the commute to a university campus is 45 minutes, it's a big difference than being in the city and your commute is 10 to 15 if you hit the train you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it's just it's a little it's a little bit trickier and then you know you think through okay well let's let's do virtual classes or let's do blended learning um but a lot of the times the infrastructure for that is not it's it doesn't exist yet um because they've never had a need for it yet so there's just a lot of things that are very different and i i remember too that i um In my schools, I always felt like home visits were a top priority for me. And I thought, um, particularly when you're trying to retain students, you should go. If you have chronic absenteeism or, you know, I don't know, just you don't see parents very often, it's easier for me to go to them than sometimes it is for them to come to me. So I always thought, well, I'll just go to their home. Well, in a rural setting, a home visit is – Way more complicated because you are not talking about the ability to just run down the street and knock on someone's door when they're on an acre and a half of land and it is fenced and there are horses between you and the door. Like, it's not going to happen. You can't just walk up to somebody's front door and knock on it the way I was accustomed to doing. So I'm curious about in Teach Plus when you had groups of people that are having really opposite Experiences? Like, how do, what are what were the things that you had in common? Like, what were the issues that were bubbling up um, where it was like, oh, this is happening everywhere and this is something we could tackle? So, Teach Plus does
1: a really great job of kind of guiding us to the issues that they know will have steam in the legislator. Um, they're really good about training us and making sure that um, what we're saying will resonate with the legislators. So, they use our stories and our voices, and they, they kind of train us in how to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times when we would have those conversations, we would find the similarities. Like there's sort of like, there's, there's like big rocks that Teach Plus works, for, works on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would sort of um, look for those big things. Like um, we did a lot with school funding, with uh, mentorship for new teachers, mm-hmm. um, with social-emotional learning, and all of those things apply to all students everywhere
0: there's a lot that can be can be done to find those similarities, but also like you'd be surprised when you get people in these like virtual meetings that we'd have monthly and you start talking about the, the adjustments to school funding and, you know, just because they don't need the same money in the same way doesn't mean that like there's still not like funding and equity and there's still mm-hmm. not places where like money's being used on things we don't need it. And then things that they do need technology and different resources just aren't going to be there. And like, like Megan was saying, the, you know, the legislators have bills, they have things that they're coming up with, they have things they're producing. And so, you know, Teach Plus is there to prepare us to speak to those things. Mm-hmm. And so if we're in favor of it personally, Teach Plus just gives us the skills to go talk about it and say it. And if we're not in favor of it personally, then we will get the opportunity to go share about that as well.
1: So what, did you go to the Capitol? Like, yes. Yeah. So Austin and I both have spoken at the Capitol. And Uh Austin and I I were in the same working group uh, back in the spring. And we also got to present at TEA. We presented to the Chief Officer of Innovation... Something along
0: those lines? Titles, titles, titles. Something along those lines. Something (laughs) along those lines. Someone very official. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: On uh, on school design. So our working group, the one that Austin and I worked on, was on um, school redesign, essentially, like school models. And so we did design thinking workshops with teachers all over the state and got ideas of how they would create an ideal school. And then Mm -hmm. we sort of boiled it down and looked at different school models that were created and we presented on it. And um, one of the coolest parts of it was that after we presented We had a really interesting conversation with him, and he left the meeting and said that he was going to go change the wording to include teachers in school creation grants and make sure that teacher voice was more heard after talking to us.
2: That's really cool. And in your classroom, like prior to Teach Plus, when you were both in your classrooms, how did you view your access to people like legislators or people like thought? like thought leaders around school design or school reform, like what, what would you say your perception of how quickly you could access those people was before teach plus? Uh,
0: Low. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, when, when these kind of opportunities come, it kind of just snowballs and you start to see different, different doors open and different people and different opportunities. And I think, you know, thinking back to where I first started in SAISD, um, I started at Marhill elementary, love, love the West side, love the school. And, you just you're very I was very classroom focused I was very worried about like when I'm teaching the next day and the more I've gotten involved in different opportunities like teach plus the more I see like kind of the systems and some of the Mm -hmm. grander schemes and how teacher voice can be a part of a lot of what's being done and how important not only teacher voice is but just like everybody including communities is in the redesigning of schools which we're seeing kind of all over the city right now
2: yeah I mean for sure I feel like when I was when I was full-time on a campus, I was really campus-centric, right? I was thinking about what was happening on my campus, but there are a lot of conversations happening outside of classrooms, off campuses about school reform that I didn't necessarily have an ear for, and I didn't really have, I wasn't even in the audience of those conversations, even though school reform clearly indicates that something is going to change, in the place where I work every day. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel necessarily tied to those conversations in any way. Um, so why, why do you think that is like, why is it that way?
0: I think, I think when school reform's happening, it's, it's easier to for the powers that be to include less people, not that they necessarily want to or don't want to. And I'm not speaking to any certain entity or certain person, Mm -hmm. but, to make big level changes, if there's less people involved, it's done faster, you're able to make a decision quicker and no one is going to be pushing back. And the more people you include, the more layers you unroll, unravel, Sure. the more there's going to be confusion and, you know, misunderstanding. It's it, yeah, it's messy. It messier. takes
2: more time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah I, c- I do want to say, though, that there's no reason you couldn't add one teacher on right? any of those conversations. It doesn't have to be a school full of teachers. Right. If you even just had one or two teacher voices on the panel, I think that would be really powerful.
2: Mm-hmm. So, and the reason I asked is because obviously, there, did you know that there's like 85,000 plus educators in Bear County? That's impressive. That's crazy, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a lot.
1: Yeah. It's, How it's do you find which teacher to talk to?
2: Right. <laughs> And then like everybody, all 85,000 aren't going to go to teach. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so how do you, how do you give everybody a voice or how do you at least include them or even just put them in the audience of this is, these are the ideas that are floating around in school reform. Um, I just, that's something I think about a lot. I don't, I don't know that I have the right answer for it. I think having a podcast is fun and I think it also gives audience to some of those conversations, which is why I'm so thankful that you're here today. I had no idea Teach Plus existed. Like I I know I asked you, how did you even find out about it? You had an an email. How did you find out about it, Austin? I,
0: I found about it from my principal. She, yeah. she had heard or seen that someone from another school in the district had been like presenting at legislative sessions in previous Teach Plus years and was like, hey, like this is something that I think would be really great for our school to be a part of me be represented by. And so she reached out. And you know, I read through, it and I, I was really interested. and I think you know, I've learned so much and mm-hmm. really have a much better understanding of like education in Texas, Not a perfect understanding, just a small bit, but like I went from being very classroom focused to now understanding some more about the systems. And it's I mean,
2: imagine if ah uh, 80,000 had a little bit better of an understanding of, like, the system of education. There, there, are
0: some, there are some legislators that would argue that a lot of educators did become more informed. There, there are times when I've heard Representative Bernal speak, and mm-hmm. he'll talk a lot about how educators have had a lot of voice and have had a lot of power, and that's why a lot of the changes were made in the last Absolutely. legislative session. Oh, I think we're but
2: miles th- away from where things used to be, right. and it was completely reflected in the last legislative session. I mean, I, I think great things have happened because of that. I'm wondering at what rate we can maintain it. And if we could even push the momentum more, if more people sort of had that same experience that you guys have had.
0: Yeah. I, you know, just replicating it sounds like, sounds like, sounds like like the easy solution, right? Let's make teach plus two. Um, (laughs) You know, one thing I think of is just like anytime there's school redesign, anytime there's school reform, anytime in your communities that people are living in or the schools that their kids are going to, like any way to give impact or to give feedback on the setting, the way their school is being run, the systems that are in place, like take advantage of it Mm -hmm. because every school at some point might do a change, might be shifting in one way or another and any opportunity, whether it's a PTA or whether it's a charter writing for a school or whether it's a redesign of a school, like find a way to get in those doors and and try mm-hmm. to give your voice.
2: Yeah. So the kind of the theme we've been tossing around this season is 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 solving school issues or just raising them whose problem is it like like do we do we solely own it do should other people care who the who are those other people so what are you guys what what are you thinking on on that around that idea I think
1: everyone should care everyone should care everyone goes through a school at some point mm-hmm. so i think that even if you don't have children you should care about the education that the students in your community are getting um, I think that everyone it's they're going to be the people that are that are serving you in restaurants and working Mm -hmm. in your tech industry and they're going to be the future teachers. So everyone should care. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's it's tough because some communities and some students and speaking from my experience in the classroom and working with different people, uh, some families and parents and community members have real strong experiences in school and feel really positively about it and some feel really negatively. You can see in their appearance, they're very huddled, they're very sheltered, Mm -hmm. they're very intimidated. They didn't have a good school experience. And so finding a way to like give those people that voice again and let them feel comfortable is something that really needs to happen. I don't have a good answer for it. And I in the work that I've done and in seeing works that have being done, like they're trying and people are trying to bring some of the community members and family members back into schools. But it's really hard work. You just have to go try to find them. In their I own do. spaces. It is
2: it's hard work, but I feel like it's fun work too. Yeah. Well, because you you are you're igniting a new level of passion sometimes when you're like, hey, I know this isn't on your radar right now, but let me let me just show this to you. And then it's all of a sudden you have a different passion that rises to the surface. And then you mm-hmm. can like investigate that. And it's sort of like taking French for the first time, right? Like you're like, what? I didn't even know I loved French. This is gonna change everything about the way I'm gonna spend the next 20 years of my life. Life. Yeah. And and that's kind of the way I feel like if we are just good at telling our own stories and we're good at listening to other people who have ideas on how to make our stories more rich, then we're like, wait, I didn't even know I was passionate about that thing. And now that I know I'm going to go – it's going to change the way I behave in some way. And sometimes it's a minor shift. And sometimes it's like the next 20 years of my life, are going to look really different because of this exp- – which honestly – is what education is to begin with, right? Like it's, that's the exact thing is you, you experience something different or you gain new knowledge or you're given different information and suddenly something is shifted and it's not going to be the way that it used to be. Um, And those are little shifts or they're big shifts. And I think in some ways, we've seen really big shifts over the last five years. Um, And, Sometimes I'm I'm kind of like a I'm a small change kind of person, I think. I don't know why that is. I don't know what it is about me, but I've always felt like if I can if I can change what's right here next to me, that is enough. And and then it ripples, right? Because now the people that whose mindsets have changed right next to me, then they sort of change the mindset of the people around them, and then and it just sort of ripples, and suddenly you have a big change. Um, so I was really excited when I when we when I met you guys and when I heard your school design story and your school design ideas because I thought, man, when practitioners are leading the work around what should change, it's really authentic because you actually you have a behind the curtain purview, right, where you're like actually. This is, if we just shift this one thing, it's going to matter so much. Um, and like opening a Montessori school in a neighborhood school place, right. it's a big deal. And sometimes it just feels like the new and shiny thing. But when you when you really look at why did that happen, why is it so important that that happened? It's like a new passion ignites, right? And you're like, wait a minute, why has this never happened before? And how do we make this happen again?
0: Fun fact, it recently recently, recently announced it, it is happening it's again. It's happening again yeah. in
2: another neighborhood, which yeah. is which is just a really cool thing. It's a it's a cool evolution to see. Yes. And I think you're right that Megan, you're right. Like it's because of teachers and and Austin, when you said like the teacher voice, even if it's just one, changes what's about to happen because they have a practitioner perspective. They're the they're very proximate to the work.
1: So also speaking to just getting one person to to, to mm-hmm to make a difference. So one of the big strengths of Cast Tech is our industry ties. So our students have mentors. And so people from HEB, USAA, like Mm -hmm. all these different companies, they come and they have lunch with our students. They bring them lunch. They talk to them about how to prepare for an interview and how to do all these different things. And I don't know, but... I don't know how many of those people would have set foot in a public school if we didn't have this mentorship program and if we didn't have our industry ties and invite them. It was through the industry, through USAA, that we created the first user design, user experience, sorry, user experience pathway in the state of Texas. And so because of our ties to the local industries, Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to create completely new courses for our students that didn't exist before. So not only do schools need to reach out, but the community needs to come into the school. And it's those shared thoughts and shared experiences that really bring wealth to the education experience for students.
2: Yeah, for sure. And that's really cool, by the way. (laughs) It's amazing. That is really, really cool. And now other other places or other schools, other places are coming to CAS to ask how did this come to be and what can we do?
1: How can we create the user experience um, UX Mm -hmm. courses? How can we teach this? And it's because of the industry ties that we have. It's because of the connections that we've made with our community here.
2: Which means that for that group of students, for that cohort of students, their their, um, readiness to enter into a workforce or enter a course study in college that's in that's gonna be industry focused, their their readiness is just upped. Like yeah. they're just it's it's a big deal. So we always talk about how we're preparing students for
1: jobs that don't yet exist. Right. And so now we're sort of in the process of figuring out what jobs are up and coming mm-hmm. and preparing students for those jobs and all the skills that are that go along with them. Because for UX, there's many different skills that students need for it, not just using a computer. It's right. psychology. It's, it's how do people yeah, It's use not just the technical things. skill. Yep. It's all kinds of skills. So it's also trying to figure out what are the jobs that we're going to need in the near future and how can we prepare students for mm-hmm. those jobs as well.
2: Very interesting. So, wh- okay, so we're, what's one thing that you wish every single person who hears this podcast knew or understood about teaching or about school design?
0: One, one thing that just jumps to mind and we've, we've talked about this a bit today, but just like any, any opportunity to be a part of school design, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an administrator, whether you're a family member of a student, whether you're a student community member, like just, just please take advantage of it. Please be a part of that process. We need more voices. We need more people. We need more perspectives involved because just inviting teachers into the room is a step in the right direction, but we need to hear other perspectives because teachers and administrators, teachers and school leaders aren't the only people that are involved in schools and mm-hmm. having those experiences. The the consumers, the people that are receiving what we're doing need to be a part of that, whether that's through their families or through themselves, because they can help us understand what they need, what their communities are really kind of looking for and and desiring.
2: So what are those opportunities? Like if you had to name them, like what should people be on the lookout for? Like, how do you know, Oh, that's an opportunity for me to go voice my idea
0: Well, school board meetings, there are different parent groups. There are different groups for community members. You could do like PTSA. Um, I don't have lists of like nonprofits and things like that, but I will Mm -hmm. give a little plug. I'm in a group called Leadership SAISD. Cool. And I really like the organization. We meet monthly and there are lots of family members of students, parents, anyone interested in education. And there are people that are leading nonprofits that are just organized around like parents in schools. And, and they does just, it
2: cost anything? No,
0: to? it doesn't cost anything. And it's just really interesting to hear all the different ways that people are involved in education and want to learn more. And seeing people um, learn more about education also in the moment, talking about legislative issues, talking about the history of segregation in schools in San Antonio and some of these meetings and seeing some kind of eyes being opened. And then learning about the power that is outside of the classrooms that's still working towards education is really mm-hmm. cool. Did Teach Plus cost
2: anything? No. So, two really free, really easy to access ways. Um, There's an application process for both of those. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but there you can find them if you just Google Teach Plus San Antonio or Leadership San Antonio ISD and you can figure out what the application process is and the timelines. Right. Yeah. Um, Leadership
0: SASD, you don't have to be in the classroom to do it. You can be in almost any field across mm -hmm. the city. To be in Teach Plus, you do have to be a classroom classroom teacher. teacher.
2: That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Megan? What do you wish and everyone knew about teaching or school design? Uh,
1: I guess I would echo a lot of what uh, what Austin said. I just really think that anywhere that conversations about education are taking place, that teachers should be in the room. And Teach Plus let us enter into so many rooms that I didn't even know were possible for me to enter right. into. Yeah. Um, to speak at the Capitol, to be in te- to be to speak at TEA. And um, I also really think that uh, teachers are the implementers of anything that comes down the pipeline that's right so you really want to talk to the people that are going to be implementing Mm -hmm. whatever you're creating be it a course be it some sort of program Mm -hmm. and you want to talk to the ones that it's going to actually happen to them and to their students and let them think through what would this look like in my classroom how is this going to feel for students to make sure that you're really making the right decisions because Mm -hmm. you may have great intentions but then when you talk to a teacher they might be like oh that might not work like that because of our schedule because of the logistics of it so just making sure that the implementation voice shows up when you're having those conversations
2: yeah yeah um is there anything else you guys want to talk about today anything that's bubbling up for you that we haven't maybe gotten to
0: i just had one thought come to mind when you talked about like what's one advice about teaching or about school design when i think about teaching i've had several experiences throughout my time where people will be like current teachers or retired teachers and be like, Oh, I would never let my kid do it. I I would never let anyone do it
2: this morning with somebody.
0: Yeah. If you're a current or former teacher, please stop, stop saying it.
2: Stop. We, we are, this is the best job that I, I just cannot impress upon people enough. What a joy it is to serve the community and to be a civic leader in the way that teachers do. Like I just, yes, it's hard. Yes. It's messy. Yes. It's a long game, but The impact that you get to enjoy is just immense. And I can't think of another profession that impacts everything else the way that teaching does.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying don't be honest when giving feedback to a a prospective teacher, someone that's interested in it, like give them give them some real talk. But like if you're just going to tell them like not to do it and how much it's the worst, like just bite your tongue. We don't we're we're done with it. Please
2: stop. I agree. (laughs) Cheers. Yes. 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 Yes.
1: Become a teacher
2: please become a teacher. We teaching is one of the most creative fields that you can enter into as well. And you and it's one of the times where you can actually your passion can become your paycheck, right? So, Megan, you love world languages. Yes. That's your passion. <laughs> it's now become your paycheck, right? Yeah. Like you didn't have to give any of that passion up and you're inspiring and igniting the same passion probably for travel, for cuisine for I mean just think about what languages opens up for for students in terms of like what can you experience through language all of the culture that it brings all of the countries you could visit um, just learning about other places that speak the same language you know I mean it's just it's a lot of things that you didn't give up your passion it's now become your paycheck that's a that's that's huge yeah and uh, some of the reason
1: that I love teaching at Castec Tech is that I get to teach how I want to see fit. And so there's sort of um, a new methodology arising in foreign language education. Um, it's called Comprehensible Input. So we don't spend our class time filling in conjugation sheets yeah. and like I don't make my kids memorize vocab lists. We do all kinds of communicative activities. And then I also have a class library of all these books that were made for language learners about uh-huh. all kinds of silly topics and then we have graphic novels in Spanish. And so. So we read novels, we read these silly graphic novels that the kids love, and then we also do free reading time where I'm like, just choose a book from the library. We're just going to read. And so the way that I teach has really... like. It makes me so happy. I love Mm -hmm. it because students are actually like developing proficiency and they're not just sitting there filling in worksheets. And so here in San Antonio, we have a lot of heritage speakers, which is sort of like maybe like third or fourth generation, Mm -hmm. like their grandmothers are their grandparents are Spanish speakers. Their parents speak a little and then they speak a little. And so the fact that I have this reading program in my class, it's really good for them because a lot of them are not very literate in Spanish. They just talk. They just Mm -hmm. speak with their grandma and they sort of have different needs. So, So changing how I've teaching has sort of helped me meet their needs better too. Yeah. Um, since we don't really have enough students to create a heritage speaker program at my school. Um, and then it's also really important to give them other options too, because I feel like we get kind of stuck on being bilingual. Sure. When here in Texas, we have so many students that show up with another language and we can make them multilingual. Mm -hmm. One of my coworkers, um, he had a family member who the, he got a job in the oil industry because he speaks French. He didn't know anything mm. about business, mm. but <laughs> because he spoke French, he got the job. And you never know what opportunities are going to rise when you can speak to someone in another language in their language yeah, and where that's sure. going to bring you.
2: Yeah, I'm so I'm, I'm almost sort of jealous of the experience you just described because I have a son in high school who's taking Spanish and he is constantly working on vocabulary worksheets at the end of the day. And he has just become accustomed to Google translating everything, which means he's not oh. really using it in any kind of context. No. And we were laughing because the other night he, we were all sitting, um, and he was working around us. You know, we're we're not doing anything, but he's sitting working, and he's googling. And my older son peeks over his shoulder, and he's like, "Are you kidding me, Jonathan?" <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> we're like, he's, I said, "What? What's what's he doing?" He said he just googled lush jeans. <laughs> 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 said, what? And John, for and it took him a second to think through. Like, I probably did not have to Google translate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just automatic. But it's just automatic. Like he's not yeah. even thinking about the word. He's just trained. Now I need. I need to look. The, I need to Google this to find out what it means. And we laughed so hard. And I thought like. When you were describing the way you're teaching, I was like, man, I'm almost jealous for it because this poor kid had to Google los jeans." My students still do that too,
1: though. One of the big things I teach them is to use context clues and listen for the words you know, listen for cognates, words that sound like (laughs) English. (laughs) And I had a student ask me like recently, what does photo mean? And I was like, like, photo. Yeah. (laughs) Like my students still do that too. It's, it's kind just, of funny. <laughs> it's kind of learning how to, to make those connections between the languages and looking for what you know. And so that's one of the big things that we teach them. And it's really cool because a lot of the kids will come back and tell me, hey, like I know what my grandma says now. I can hear what I oh, understand her. Awesome. And they come and they tell me like, yeah, so now I can talk to my grandma a little bit. I'm still really nervous because I know I don't say it right, yeah. but I'm trying. And it's just <laughs> it's really exciting to see them make those connections. And I, I love it.
2: That's awesome. Well, thank you both so much for making time um, to come and sit down with me and talk to me. Uh, This is obviously the thing I love to do. I love talking about education, but I also just love hearing everybody else's perspective. I learn something every time I come to the table with someone new. Like today, I did not know that you had to earn a master's degree to stay a teacher in other states. Come on, Texas get with it. (laughs) I'm like, come on. Um, But that's really cool. So I I truly, truly appreciate the work that you do in your school buildings. I admire how long you've been teaching. Um, It's encouraging to me. And I just want to say thank you. And I know sometimes thank yous are hard to come by, but thank you. Thank you for teaching at Steele. Thank you for teaching at Castec. Thank you for being invested and for going and having the conversations you've had with legislators with the chief innovate officer of innovation um for the state i just thank you thanks for caring so much
0: thank you Truly. for having us. and and providing opportunities to share our voice this has been this has been wonderful and not not everyone all, every time is asking for the perspective of teachers so any any opportunities for teachers to share their experiences is is wonderful thank you
1: thank you for the work that you do for all of us God,
2: thanks i just sit here and drink wine and talk to people but <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation.